Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. All righty. Today, we've got our first royalty on the show. Sherry Lowe, known as the Queen of Free, is our guest. She's talking about how she got out of some serious debt and the leadership principles that we can learn from her experience. Joining me in the studio this week to listen to and discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Caleb Friedemann and Maria Hardeman. So this is a question that is only slightly relevant to what we're talking about in the interview today. And even after you hear the interview, it's not really going to seem that relevant. (laughs) And yet, it is an interesting question to ask. So if you could pick any song to play at inspirational moments in your life, what would that song be? So there's a song called Make Room by Jonathan McReynolds, and it's not really inspirational in nature, but I find it inspiring, and it's just talking about, Lord, even in the good times and in the bad times, I'm going to make room for you. All of my habits aside, all of my accomplishments, all of my failures aside, I'm still going to make room for you. How about you, Caleb? So when I was writing my dissertation a few years back, I needed some motivation first thing in the morning before I started writing, and I had a few songs that I'd rotate through, but one of the best was Go the Distance by Michael Bolton from the Hercules soundtrack. (laughs) I feel like those are two very non-standard answers right there. (laughs) It means we have some good guests, which is good for for this whole week, I guess. Well, Sherry Lowe is the queen of free. While Sherry and her husband Brian were paying off $127,000 of debt over a four-year period, she began to blog about her experiences. Today, she continues her blog, Queen of Free, where she shares about how to get things for free, how to develop strategies for everyday saving, and inspiration for those pursuing a debt-free life. She's written two books. First, Slaying the Debt Dragon, which focuses on their journey out of debt. Her second book, written with her husband, is called Your Money, Your Marriage, The Secrets to Smart Finance, Spicy Romance, and Their Intimate Connection. Sherry has appeared on The Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, NBC News, Market Watch, and more. Here is Sherry. Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are here as well. The first thing I want to talk about is this $127,000 in debt. First of all, how did you get into it? And then more impressively, how did you get out of it? Well, let's start with the fact that it was actually $127,482.30 because as anybody who has ever paid off any amount of debt knows, they know it down to the penny. And in fact, we actually overpaid Sally Mae by 33 cents. And my husband, Brian, called and tried to get that last 33 cents back from them. And uh, they did not find that very amusing, but we did. (laughs) 
are, are you are you getting interest on it right now from them and collecting it in no, the future? No, they're not giving us any interest. It kind of stinks. I uh, feel like turnabout is fair play. But the main way that we racked up that much debt was honestly by not paying attention to our personal finances. And so we really didn't have a plan and we kind of went with everyone else's opinion. So if people say, well, you, you have to have a car loan, that's the only way you can get a car. We were like, okay. Or when my husband was um, in grad school and they were passing around the papers to sign up for loans, it, it was just assumed you take the maximum amount that you were given because why not? And so really the, the way we racked it up was by not paying attention. Um, and in fact, it's so funny because I get questions a few years ago, I did an article with Red Book and they said, you know, did you like go and buy boots in every color or did you take a trip to Europe? What did you do to rack up so much debt? And I was like, we bought tires. That's what <laughs> we did, you know? So really we didn't have anything to show for it that was that fantastic. And so, and so you get into all this debt without necessarily even realizing it, don't have a lot to show for it. And once you realize that, first of all, kind of what was it that caught your attention? And when you found out, what did those next four years look like? Sure. So in 2008, we were expecting our second daughter, Zoe. And um, it's hard to believe she's 11 now. It's so mm. crazy. But um, we really started to take a closer look at our finances. And when you have a child, I think sometimes that can be a um, catalyst sort of moment where you begin to look at life a little bit differently. And we knew that our financial situation was not going to get any better at all if we continued down the same path. And in fact, that it would get much much worse. And Brian, my husband, was. we were standing in our bedroom and I still remember the exact moment when we were like, well, we've got to do something. And he had a notebook where he had written down everything that we owed to everyone. And up to that point, I was actually handling the personal finances in the house, making sure the bills were paid and that, the, you know, we had food in the refrigerator and that kind of thing. And we were making all of our minimum payments, but I'd never paused to think about the totality of our debt. And I think I'm probably not alone. A lot of people probably don't know what their total debt load is unless they've been on a similar journey before. And so on April the 2nd of 2008, we launched into this journey that we thought would take us 15 years, uh, seven and a half if we really hustled and reduced our lifestyle. And yet God showed up in the midst of that, proved that he was much better at math than we were. <laughs> and just under four years later, on March the 28th of 2012, we sat at our kitchen table and actually YouTubed our final student loan payment. Um, you can go out on YouTube still and see it and watch us pay off that final um, bill. And it was it was an, a kind of an iconic moment in our um, lifespan together, my husband and I's lifespan together. We just were so overwhelmed with what God had done in four years, which is, seems both short and very long at the same time. Sure. Yeah. So do you do you have a YouTube channel that people can go and, and watch that video on? Yeah, yeah, I do. So you can find all of my links out on queenoffree.net to every social media platform. But if you just search Queen of Free on YouTube, you're going to find me pretty easily. And you'll find some videos that I've, I've spoken at churches and I every week appear on the NBC affiliate here in Indianapolis. And so I try to share out those links as well. So there's plenty of content for you to dig through and kind of watch some of the things that I've been able to learn over the years as this process of paying off debt unfolded. So people 
people might be listening to this interview and thinking, this is a leadership podcast. Why are we talking about debt? But the truth is, especially for young leaders, uh, student debt is a major issue. And there are a whole lot of people wanting to do great things and who are able to do great things, but are being held back by debt. So what would be the advice that you would give to people who are struggling with debt at the moment, who are already in debt? And are there any tools you would recommend to help them get out of debt as fast as possible? Sure. So a couple of years ago, I got to speak in chapel at Asbury University. And one of the things I did while I spoke there was I had the students there make paper airplanes and everybody made these paper airplanes. And I was kind of chatting as they did that during chapel, not your normal chapel speaker sort of tool. (laughs) And um, then as soon as they were done making the airplanes, I was like, okay, now we're going to, we're just going to throw those away. And audibly, you could hear people react in the auditorium like, what? You know, you made this airplane. And and my point was, when you make a paper airplane, it was made to do one thing. It was made to fly. And mm-hmm. I believe that about us as followers in Jesus. And we talked about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But like you were made for a purpose and God has given you skills and gifts and a unique perspective on life. And if you don't get the money thing right, then it holds you back from what you were made to do and you were made to fly. So that's kind of the beginning point, I think, for leaders is you were made for a purpose. Let's get a handle on this money situation so that it doesn't control our lives and dictate what we have to do professionally, what we have to do to live. Obviously, there are so many wonderful resources out there. We're big Dave Ramsey fans. The Financial Peace University course that you could probably take in your local church is a phenomenal tool to get you started or even just listening to the radio show I think is helpful. But there's there are plenty of other great wise folks out there who know more than I do, who know more than you do. And so I would just encourage you to never stop growing. Certainly my book makes reference and uh, Slaying the Debt Dragon actually has a reading list in the back of it that has a host of different books that you could check out and also has a soundtrack list in the back of it of songs that I listened to while I was writing it. So, you know, Fun fact, if you flip to the back, don't miss that. But I think, you know, if you really just convince yourself, I'm going to look for podcasts. Um, One YouTube channel in particular that I love is the channel Two Cents, T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S, a young couple who does some digital shorts on um, different aspects of money and how to handle money well. I've never seen a video of theirs that I didn't like. So that's a great resource as well. And what would you say uh, from your experience is the optimal get out of debt song? Optimal get out of debt song. Are are there any that you could pull out from the back of your book that uh, you would say are particularly beneficial or inspirational? Well, you know what? It's so funny. Like my husband just started a a new firm um, recently and I made a playlist for him because he was moving everything from one office to the other office. So you won't find this in the back of slaying the debt dragon. But um, I believe when you're out of debt, it gives you some more mobility and freedom to be able to do things like that, that are entrepreneurial. So, you know, maybe something like take this job and shove it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
that you can put in there, but there's a lot of other very positive, um, uplifting songs that are listed in the back of Slaying the Debt Dragon, too. But it's it came out in 2015, so some of them may be a little bit dated there. So <laughs> Yeah, so on a side note, I was at a coffee shop last night, and it was about 30 minutes before they closed. They started turning off the lights and playing Closing Time. I think they were trying That's to give good. me a, a heavy hint. <laughs> like, pack it up, bro. Put the laptop in the bag. We want to go home. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people feel like finances are a topic that shouldn't be talked about. It's something that people feel uncomfortable talking about, maybe because they don't know too much about it. Why did you make it a point to share your story with other people? Yeah, well, totally. And you know what? Especially if you um, are a believer, too, and, and you're in the church, I think it, it can be kind of taboo. And I wrote a, a post a few years ago for the website Relevant, where I just talked about the fact that I sat in the pews every Sunday morning and thought about the fact that everybody else had their crap together and here we were falling apart and no one knew. And we were actually leaders in the church, leading ministries, leading small groups, you know, in charge of other people. And here we were just stretched to the breaking point. And I think, uh, you know, it can be kind of scary, but the reason why I wanted to share our story, and I talk about this a little bit at the beginning of Slaying the Dead Dragon, is just that I wanted to give other people courage that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You're not stupid and you're not helpless. You can have a role in this and this is not beyond you. And, uh, you know, being in debt is a little like being in the dark where, you know, late, late at night, not like I have a nightlight on in the hallway, but I swing my hand in front of my face and I can't even see my own fingers sort of dark. And I think that's paralyzing for a lot of people. And the more that we bring darkness out into the light and we expose it and we say, hey, here's this thing that I'm a mess in, the less power it has over us. And so the blog really was that process for me of bringing darkness out into the light and saying, here I am, warts and all, here's what we're trying to do. And not only did people that I didn't know respond and say, oh my gosh, me too. The crazy thing was people that I knew for years and decades came forward and said, hey, I I'm struggling too. I'm right there with you. And so that was kind of crazy to me that I knew them, but I didn't know they had that struggle. I love that analogy that you just gave, the the exposing the dark places in our lives to the light. And because of that, you've been given a new platform and a new voice. And that is a, a great leadership principle to take away. When we, when we hide things in our lives, oftentimes we aren't interested in sharing, but when we uh, are willing to be open with people, then all of a sudden other people People are coming out of the woodwork wanting to hear from us because we're willing to talk about the things that, that no one else is willing to talk about. And that's an incredibly valuable thing as a leader. I am wondering, as you become more of a leader in this area, are there any either positive or negative surprises that have come about from your writing and speaking and just a larger platform to communicate with other people? I think I still kind of get caught off guard that I'm lucky enough to get to do this, you know, because I've had like a couple of pieces appear on the Today Show and I've had opportunities to go on radio shows like Focus on the Family and Family Life Today. And that's just 
crazy. I never set out to do any of that when I started the blog. I really just set out to share our story and my passion for freebies because everybody loves free stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the flip side, yeah, there definitely have some been some hiccups along the way where I've learned, you know, that not everybody's going to like you. You can definitely go out to Amazon and look for my books and you'll see some wonderful five-star reviews. But if you look close enough, you're going to see some one-star reviews too. And I think I'm pretty Pollyanna. And so I forget that, you know, there will be people who don't like you or they don't like your message. They don't, you know, don't like the way you communicate. And in the same way, I'm on the news every Sunday. And so as a woman, there are people who will email me and let me know that they don't care for my personal appearance, um, which is jarring to say the least. And I think learning how to deal with that kind of feedback has been a huge life lesson and really shifted the way that I look at the world. How do you deal with that? Because I, I, th- that's one of those things that no matter who you are, if you rise to any level of prominence, and that can be relatively small just within a small group or on a more national level, you're going to face people who don't like what you're doing and what you stand for. I'll give you the natural response, which I think most people won't tell you that they do. And then I'll give you the response of what I aspire to do more <laughs> often. So okay. my, my more petty response, when I first get a one-star review somewhere, like if it's Goodreads or Amazon, then I automatically click the user profile and I want to see what else they have reviewed. And I think this is a little helpful because you can find out very quickly if they're really in your audience or not, number one. And if they're buying things that are like totally not consistent with your brand, then you know like, oh, well, I didn't resound with them because they're not my people. They're not my tribe and that's okay and they can be their own person. And then secondly, some people just love to hate. And so if I see that they have given everything, like they give them the Bible one star, you know, like they've given everything one star that's out there, well, they're probably just sad and frustrated with Mm. their own life. So that's my gut reaction. I probably shouldn't lurk as much as I do in that (laughs) regard. It's probably not real healthy, but I'm being honest here. But then, you know, the second way that I deal with it is really to have a a kind of a heart to heart moment with with myself and, and with Jesus to say, like, will this person really have a bearing on my life? If I were to get sick today and landed in the hospital, would this person come to the hospital? Has this person ever sat at my kitchen table and drank coffee with me? How much am I willing to let their voice count in my life? Now, there may be some shred of truth to what they've said. And so I do have to look at that and and try to distance myself because it stings. You know, the, the lady on Facebook who sent me the message that went through my hair, my makeup, my clothes, my jewelry, everything and told me what I needed to change. My first reaction was I cried because I'm a human being. (laughs) But then my second reaction was, well, I don't know, you know, but it made me think through, you know, she, she criticized me for wearing the same thing too many times in a row. And I thought, well, this is who I am. I'm frugal, you know, (laughs) like this is who I am. I don't have a huge wardrobe and I, that's intentional and that's okay. So she can criticize me for that, but it's all right with me. I'm okay with it. So I think, you know, looking through the feedback and trying to see, is there anything I can learn from this? But at the same time, keep the proper perspective of my people are whose voices really count. So if my husband or my best friend or my 
pastor says something to me, then yes, I'm going to take that to heart and like really work on it. But most of these people I'll never know. And so I need to keep that in perspective. So you've had a number of transitions in your life. I think, first of all, you know, just going from being someone who's in debt to being someone who's blogging about that and then going from that to becoming an author. I'm sure there's a ton of other transitions in your life that I don't know about. But are there any skills that you've picked up along the way as you've gone from one thing to another and been stretched and kind of called to new areas of life? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because, um, fun fact, I was a high school cheerleader, which really doesn't fit my persona a whole lot, um, I don't think. But I, I always look back at that and think, you know, well, it's kind of insignificant and silly. But honestly, that experience taught me what it was like to be in front of a large crowd on a regular basis and to cheer people on. And honestly, I used that a ton, which is a crazy transition. And then I was in children's ministry for a very long time, worked for a couple of different churches. And if you've ever spoke to kids before, you can definitely speak to adults because kids will just bust you out, you know? So like I look at some of those transferable skills all along the way. I have a degree in history and I worked on my master's. I was a fellow at IUPUI in Indianapolis and the communication skills I learned there. I never thought I would use those to write a book about personal finance. Hmm. So I think it's interesting the way that, you know, God uses the paths of our lives to kind of trace his finger through different things that we might think are trivial in the moment or, or really not leading towards something bigger. But if you can hone those skills right where you're placed, not looking down the road at some sort of craziness, you know, where you're going to do something huge, but really just hone your skills right where you are and continue to be intentional in that, then you'll be able to use those eventually. As I think back to, to the work that you've done, a lot of it's been focused on either you getting out of debt or you helping other people to get out of debt. And I'm wondering, especially as you were in the throes of it, did you do a good job of balancing your debt-free goals with other aspects of life to, in, in a healthy balance? I hope so. <laughs> um, I think you probably have to ask the people around me whether okay. or not that was true completely. But I do know that we set micro goals within the greater goal. So our greater goal was to pay off the huge amount of debt. But every time we passed a smaller finish line, we paused to celebrate. And so I think that's really key for most of us if we're biting off something huge that seems mammoth just to keep that momentum going. And I think then that helped us to pause and say like, no, you're more important. Like my husband and I, we paid off our car and then we went in to Chicago to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Um, we didn't just keep plowing through, you know, yeah, we paused yeah. to really still say like, you're more important than this process of paying off debt, you know? So, um, I hope that we did well at that. Uh, time will tell and probably our kids will tell someday <laughs> whether or not we did. The memoirs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, you know, we, we certainly aimed to do that, to remember that the goal was not bigger than the relationships in our lives, that yes, it required sacrifice, but that didn't mean we had to be miserable at the time. And so some of those strategies are in slaying the debt dragon too, if you're interested in learning a little bit more how that process looked and worked. And, you know, we still celebrated Christmas and bought our girls birthday cakes and things like that. We're not monsters. Uh, <laughs> We, you know, we did make some choices along the way to live life more simply. And so as a follow up to that, I guess 
once you did reach your goal, did you find yourself motivated to do other things or did you just feel like you had finally made it? Um, we definitely paused to celebrate and we already knew that we were going to do that. So the whole time we didn't take a real vacation. Um, we had like, you know, rode the couch at grandma's house and done some things for free along the way, but we hadn't taken a real vacation in four years. And so we, um, saved up cash to be able to pay cash to take a week long, um, trip to North Carolina and stay in a beach house. And that was fantastic. Um, and so we kind of caught our breath before we kicked into to new goals. But I, I think we're pretty motivated people. And if you follow me on Instagram, you go out and look on Instagram, you'll see that just less than a month ago, it'll be a month ago on Thursday of this recording, we paid off our mortgage too. Oh, wow. And so that was the secondary goal um, and one that we'd been working on consistently for about seven years. And, and uh, we were able to do that as well. So now we have zero debt. Well, no, congratulations no on that. Thank you. It's kind of crazy. And, and it's interesting because we had set that goal as soon as we paid off debt. My husband uh, just turned 43 in May and I turned 43 this year. And we said, wouldn't it be so cool if we were both, you know, if we were debt free by 43 because goals stick when you make them rhyme. And there you and go. So, yeah. <laughs> and so we had done that. And then even last year I was like, oh, this is doubtful, you know, like, <laughs> And and God opened the doors and we were able to make it happen still even in the midst of that. And so we're we're so grateful. But um, yeah, I think there's always a new goal on the horizon right now. It's it's paying uh, cash and getting our kids through college. That's the next goal on the horizon. And so we're always moving towards something new. Yeah. So I'm wondering, are there any skills or habits that you found especially beneficial in your life, either financially or relationally, that you would recommend to young leaders who are listening to this podcast as they progress and as they're seeking to make a difference in their world? Um, financially, you got to check your accounts every day. It's, it is just part of the routine. And actually, if you're married, I'd suggest that you do it with your your spouse every single day. You get up, you, um, you know, go through your morning routine, but it, just at least five minutes to check and reconcile your bank account. Just make sure you know what's going on. This is it's helpful so that you know what the you know, your income and your outflow is, but also helps you if you end up getting hacked, which can happen and has happened to us before and you see it automatically. So. I think that that's just wise. You need to be in there, your fingers in your budget every single day so that you can find out what's going on. For me personally, I must move every day. I have to exercise in some fashion or form. So uh, that actually helped us a lot while we're paying off debt too. And um, even if you don't have a gym membership, you don't have, you know, a fancy treadmill, you can you can walk around the block. Imagine that. Do something. Yeah. Don't need special gear. You don't need a Peloton, even though, oh Lord, I'd love a Peloton. <laughs> so, you know, but like you don't need it, but you do need physical movement. And I think that was something that probably took me a long time to realize the benefits and effects of that. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to be a marathon runner, but you need some sort of movement. And I think, especially in our digital age, exercise is one of the best things to get your hands off of technology for at least an hour. Um, and a lot of the times, some of my very best ideas come when I'm running uh, and my mind has no other place to be except in that 
step in that moment. And so I would highly encourage that. And it sounds a little weird and offbeat, but I think it is useful. Um, and then you need both um, someone out in front of you that you can be their biggest fan. They're doing something that you admire, that you're following, that you're reading or you're listening to their podcast or whatever. And then you need somebody behind you that you can encourage. And I think both of those roles are essential that you need, you know, somebody who knows more than you, and then you need to be helping someone else be somebody's biggest fan. So if someone is hearing what you're sharing today and really likes your message and what you're all about, what can people expect if they're to purchase a copy of Slaying the Dead Dragon? I hope that they will laugh because I believe it or not, with a subject like personal finance, I think a lot of times people approach it and they're thinking, oh my word, I'm going to fall asleep. This is going to be so boring. Or I'm just going to feel horrible about my life choices right here. And so my goal would be number one, that they gain some, some encouragement, that it makes them laugh, that they can really, you know, kind of um, see their finances through a lens that's not one that is, you know, condemning or, or laden with shame. Um, and then that they get the inspiration they need to make some positive change in their money. Maybe they don't need to pay off $127,000 in debt, or maybe they have more, but just to take that first step forward. And then finally, I'm all about the practical tools. And so if you go to queenoffree.net, you're going to find things like all of these Aldi meal plans, if you have an Aldi in your area or any kind of grocery store, honestly, where I take 50 bucks and I go into the grocery store, I buy items, and then I tell you what to fix for dinner for a mm. week. And so I, I'm all about about like here, you know, here's this tool, here's this podcast, here's this thing that you can use, pointing people in the right direction to be able to find ways to make the most of their money, make the most of their time so that they can have an abundant life. It's not for me, at least it's not about hoarding up as much money as I can have so I can do whatever I please. Um, that's kind of not the wheel we turn on. In fact, we more than anything, the best thing about being debt free has been giving away money to anybody that we want to. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so much fun. Well, Sherry, thank you for sharing with us today. Now, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Bring it on. I'm all ready. All righty. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? To have more desire less, uh, which is a paraphrase of a G.K. Chesterton quote that's on a button that's on my refrigerator that's been there since 2008, that if we really want to have more in our lives, uh, we have to kind of cut back on those desires. Use three descriptors to finish the sentence. A leader is? Kind. <laughs> uh, which is probably not what you'll read most places. But to me, a leader is kind. A leader um, brings about positive change, which is more than one word, but that's okay. And <laughs> a, a leader um, is passionate. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? How can I bring life to this situation? Uh, so whatever it is that you're going through, because we all go through crud on a regular basis and we're trying to figure it out. So even if you're deep, deep in debt, where is the life and where is the joy in the midst of this? And how can I be someone who encourages that along? And what book would you recommend to leaders? 
Oh my goodness. That's like asking me if I have a favorite child. I think it's kind of interesting because I do read a lot of like motivational kind of books and stuff like that. But honestly, I would encourage leaders to either read or listen to fiction upon occasion. And I'm a huge Madeline Lingle fan. And so the Wrinkle in Time series, I think there are some things for us to learn in fiction, especially those of us who spend our time kind of dwelling in that nonfiction world. I typically listen to fiction books instead of reading them uh, and usually on my phone. And so I think if you can pick a classic that you've never read before, or you could pick something that, you know, you have read, but it's been, you were a child when you read it last, I think you'll find some meaning in there. So don't skip the fiction. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that be? Yeah, I think I'm always going to trend toward paying attention to your finances, because if you can get a handle on managing your money well, then it helps you manage your life better. It helps you manage people better. I think understanding that is a a good first step and um, also uh, remaining teachable. So even if you're a boss at balancing the checkbook, there's always something else that you could learn. And so, you know, definitely remain teachable within whatever it is that you're pursuing. And finally, an arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, goodness gracious. That's philosophical, (laughs) isn't it? Hmm, I think I would probably be a bit of a contrarian and come from the why not side of things. Um, And just, you know, not typically not one to be like, oh, yeah, status quo, everybody does it this way. But like, why do people do it that way? And is that the best path for me? Um, And then also on the spontaneity side, like, hey, why not? Let's go for it. You know, (laughs) kind of live life while you can. Well, Sherry, thank you for joining the show today. You've already referenced it, but just as a final note from you, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Definitely out at queenoffree.net, and you'll find links to the books and all my social media channels. You'll find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere at the Queen of Free. So the Queen of Free in front of it there. Sherry, it's been a pleasure. Uh, It's been great, Joshua. Thank you so much for your time and blessings on what you're doing. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. 
So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.